You're listening to the Hard Hedge, UVA's only independent basketball podcast hosted by two guys, one of whom happens to be a fake coach. Fake coach. Get up out your seat, you can have my drink, let me see you dance. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Pittman and Phony Bennett. When the sun falls, the sun falls, then the moon lights, the moon lights, might be a hell of a night, go, go. Welcome out there, Virginia fans. Welcome to another edition of the Hard Hedge. Uh, I must apologize that we have not been with you sooner. It's been a crazy couple weeks for all of us, uh, but we are thrilled to be in the midst of the ACC schedule, and uh, we hope to be recording uh, a lot more often here as the season progresses. Uh, With me, as always, the man, the myth, the legend, Phony Bennett. Phony, how you doing, sir? Yeah, I'm I'm a lot better than I was afraid I might be about 26 hours ago. Uh the staring down three losses in a row uh did did not make me feel good, but so I'm I'm really glad the team pulled out last night. I know we're going to talk a lot about that, but uh yes, I'm I'm in pretty good spirits. Uh, it was a good win last night. And also with us is Charlie Saulwasser at University Ball. Charlie, what's up, brother? Not too much feeling good feeling better feeling better than frank haith is tonight yep that's right well <laughs> it's been a it's been a heck of a, a journey um you know these these last couple games and uh we opened acc schedule with notre dame and played a, a near flawless uh offensive game I, I thought it was just unbelievable execution did just enough defensively uh and then uh the wheels kind of fell off a little bit and i think we should dive kind of right into that and and give the listeners, you know, just a, uh, our impressions of what exactly went wrong in those Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech games. And, and Phony, I'll start with you. As, uh, as those games unfolded, you know, what, what do you feel really led to uh, Virginia losing those basketball games? <laughs> oh, man, if I knew, if I knew this, I'd, I'd be a real coach. Um, you know, there's, there, there really was a variety of factors. And, and, and let's start with the fact is, as Duke just lost to Clemson, that uh, road games on the ACC are going to be tough this year. And I, I doubt that's those are the last road games uh, that we're going to lose, and, and I, everyone's going to drop some of those. The, the teams uh, we faced, those, those two teams, I think they shot 44% from three. Um, you know, you can say our closeouts were a little bit slow, but I think for the most part we, we met some teams that were playing really well. Virginia Tech had a really good game plan. And, and then by the same token, we had some problems. Our post defense still isn't uh, what I want it to be, what, what any of us want it to be. And, and guys are getting in the lane and, and really challenging it a lot. And uh, to me, like on, on defense, like that's the biggest area. I think our closeouts aren't as much of a problem as our post D, but the problem is uh, we're, we're sometimes slow to rotate or just in bad position when the ball gets down there. And then that just mucks everything up and, and guys end up getting open shots somewhere on the floor. Uh, Offensively, I have less of an idea of what's what's happening. I mean, the we looked so polished for so many games, like like we knew what we were doing, and and we looked like that uh, for about the last fifteen minutes last night. Like that that offense was clicking again, but for a long time it was really out of sync. Uh, obviously, Malcolm, we rely on him. He he has not been shooting the ball well, and and maybe you know other guys are just feeding off of that. That I'm not sure about. Well, Charlie, I, I, you know, I read your piece uh, uh, last week that kind of addressed some of the issues, and I think you and I are on the same page in a lot of ways. But uh, especially defensively, 
what are you seeing out there that, that you think needs to be improved upon uh, for this team to get kind of back to the defensive level that we all expect them to be? Uh, I think two things stick out to me. And the first one is just general team awareness. I think this team, as it's put together right now, is made up of a lot of guys that are shut down individual defenders. You've got your Malcolm, I mean, at least on the perimeter. You've got your Malcolms, you've got your like your Darius, who is set up as a guy who is an individual stopper. London has come a long way. All of those guys, great one-on-one defenders, particularly Malcolm. And I think those guys get so far inside their heads about stopping their man individually, like that it becomes like almost like they have blinders on. And I feel like these guys get caught a little bit out of position occasionally just because they're so locked into what their man's doing. And then in addition, I just don't think, I don't think we have, I don't think we've realized a lot of us how lucky we were to have Darion and Akil because those guys were not just good physical defenders. It was like art for them. And like those guys could create and direct their teammates. And while a lot of the guys on this year's team have done an okay job playing that role, they haven't quite been able to create on D the way those guys did. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I think one of the biggest problems that this team is having is the Darian and, and Akil, just the sheer athleticism to be able to cover the uh, court the way those two guys did, to be able to come out and hedge as far as they hedged and to be able to recover as quickly as they could. Uh, Mike Toby and Anthony Gill just do not have that athletic ability Toby is uh, struggles mightily uh, when he's out there in that capacity still, despite despite him really hustling and doing a lot of other things, I think, much better recently. It's still a liability uh, to some degree to have him really anywhere out there near the perimeter, and, and its teams are getting a lot of easy shots uh, when he's in that position. Anthony Gill's working his tail off, but he's just not quite that same athlete either. Um, you know, I think that this team's problem guys really has been on the defensive side of the ball. We've all talked about it kind of individually. Uh, the shooting percentages are extremely high. They have been kind of all season, uh, which is just surprising to me because, you know, with the lower shot clock, everybody kind of assumed that uh, Virginia was going to be forcing teams into even harder shots than usual. And when I watch the tape of these games, it, it, it's weird. First of all, we're not really forcing any, uh, shot clock violations. Um, it's it's happening far f- less this year, and teams are just getting a lot cleaner looks. It's like I remember watching this team the last few years and being like, "All right, you know, if, if that shot goes in, uh, it's it's a prayer, or uh, you know, we'll let them take that shot all day long because there's a hand right there in the face and he's falling away." And as I watch these games, especially the the Georgia Tech and the Tech games, but frankly, games that we've won against lesser competition early in the year, you know, I'm seeing more shots leave the hand being like, you know, okay, that was a good clean shot. That was a good spot on the floor. That was a rhythm shot. That was an uncontested shot or, or a, um, you know, a look that um, kind of was outside of, of the pack line, you know, something that um, they really should hit at a, at a high clip and, and I you know I think that it's it's very easy to see when you when you look at the shooting percentage numbers that this some just despite the Ken Palm numbers that I think still have us in the top 20 or whatever defensively that something isn't gelling quite the same way 
as it has in the last couple of years. And I think you hit on two of the key points. Uh, offensively, look, I, I thought Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech were, were, were simply because we weren't playing well defensively. And when you fall behind, you tend to press a little bit. You tend to get a little tight. Uh, guys were taking shots that I, I think that, you know, were not Virginia style shots. But then a lot of the up close looks, a lot of like Gill and um, Wilkins and guys getting kind of close looks up front. They were leaving them short. They were being quick with them, and I think that's a, uh, I think that's happens when you're playing from behind sometimes, and you're really trying to force things a little bit, and you start playing a little tight. But then going into last night's game, I thought the offense looked really disjointed for the, the first three quarters of that game. Um, it, it was a lot of standing around the blockers and the blocker mover system were, were setting like maybe one initial screen and then kind of just falling asleep and waiting for somebody to do something. Um, you know, I've seen some message board chatter phony and I'll, I'll ask you directly. Um, I've, I've seen some folks maybe pointing at the rotation and the fact that we're playing so many different guys and we're switching the starting lineup. Um, and we're seeing so many different combination of guys on the floor that this might be affecting both the offense and defense. Do you buy into that at all? Not really, just because I, I think a lot of the these lineups that we're seeing right now are a reaction to losing. I don't know that before the Virginia Tech game, you know, maybe the, the second half of the Virginia Tech game even, we, we were seeing that many of these weird lineups. I mean, there were a few, but the these last uh, three games, I mean, I think you could put everyone's name in a hat and pick five, and we've probably uh, seen that group on the floor. Uh, and there, there is that, that comfort level. I mean, I've always worried at the beginning of each season, uh, since, since, you know, Tony's first couple years, it was really evident that it was going to take this team a few games to really gel. And these guys get used to playing with each other because the, the coordination between all the different parts on defense, I, I think are really important for this system. And so this year, you know, that, that was one of the reasons the George Washington game re really didn't concern me that much. But then I thought, you know, the, the lineups, the various lineups seemed kind of set and we seem to be doing well with that. And I don't know, you know, things went off the rails at Virginia Tech. And now, I mean, we're, we're seeing some really odd combinations out there. And, and look, I'm not here to, to second guess any of the, the coaching decisions there, but um, like starting Jack Salt in the second half last night, I thought that was really odd given the game that, that Mike Toby was having. Um, you know, maybe he wanted to save them, but you know, I, I think you're seeing these weird lineups really in a reaction to those existing lineups, uh, not, not working for us. Um, you know, like you mentioned the, the post defense, the, the Gill Toby combination just doesn't have that defensive punch. Isaiah, we need to take a minute and, uh, I think credit how far he's come. I, I would argue, yeah, he's not where Akeel or Darian is, but I would say he's probably ahead of where they were, um, in their second year. And, uh, you know, he, he definitely seems to get what we're doing. And so I think, you know, moving forward, he's going to be fine, but, but we've got to figure out, you know, what, what we're doing right now. Charlie, what are you, what are your thoughts on that, on the lineups and how the rotation is playing out so far? I think we have 11 scholarship players and I think we're barely halfway through the season. So I think it's natural when you hit, a stretch where things aren't going as you want them to. And you have 11 guys that have shown they're capable of at least being on the court against top level competition. I think it's natural to try to find combinations that work still. I think if anything, 
I'd be a little more skeptical if Tony wasn't trying everything at his disposal to try to shake these, these team, this team out of this. Because, I mean, who were I? I agree typically that basketball is a rhythm game and you want to have an eight or nine man rotation. But, I mean, who's to say any of these guys can't provide a lift? Like, we've seen all of them provide lifts in different games this season. So I think it's, it's just a matter of finding groups that work. And I think he's going to keep trying until he finds them. Yeah, I, I think Tony, from the beginning of the season, has decided that, okay, I might stretch my uh, my depth, my playable depth, a little bit longer than I, um, a little bit deeper than I typically do, because he wants to have bodies fresh for the postseason. I think he set a lot of things up in this, this season to be fresh for the postseason, and I think that's part of why you're seeing all this, and then a lot of it is just, just trying to find a... a combination that works and trying to find a combination that can excel offensively and defensively and and I think that's really where this gets interesting is there's so many different pieces it's like okay you know these guards uh, guard a little better but you know these these big guys are, are better but this guy's going to struggle a little bit of rebounding this guy can pick it up on that side you know it's 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 tough it's one of those rosters that it's it's a lot to try to piece together and um, you know, I think the rebounding at times ha- has worried me. Uh, you know, th- there has been a-, a few stretches where, you know, I-, I don't know if some of these more traditional teams that have the real size are going to continue to give us some trouble rebounding. Like, I really worry about North Carolina on the boards and, and-, and guys like that. Um, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see how these lineups continue to shake out. Darius Thompson was kind of the odd man out uh, the other night. Um, and, you know, Evan Nolte all of a sudden has started playing a bunch more minutes. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. We've got a lot of guys that don't necessarily have a lot of experience in college games under their belt, too. Like, I don't think I don't think Devin, Darius, Isaiah, like Marielle Shayok for sure. I don't think any of those guys have necessarily discovered who they're going to be at the college level yet. So it's no. also it's also kind of hard for Tony to try to count to try to know what he's going to be able to count on from those guys night in night out when I don't know if they've really I don't know if they know it yet but with, with the fear of injury always being there I mean given the the experience over the 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 Tony Bennett uh, tenure I mean it's good to have more guys that are ready I mean you never know when Devin Hall is going to need to be a starter um you know or, or Jack Salt's going to need to play 15 20 a game so I mean getting these guys more significant minutes than just a little bit at, at garbage time um, you know, I, I think it's smart preparation on his part. Yeah, it's a, uh, I agree. But the, like some of the stuff is like, what do you make of the whole Jack Salt thing? Uh, you know, he, uh, it's so perplexing to me that he, he, he starts games early in the year. Then he comes in relief a few games. Then he literally does not play a minute, no matter who the competition is throughout December, basically. Then he's starting games again for us now. It's just, you know, again, I'm not questioning Tony. I'm just trying to wrap my head around the methodology behind it. I mean, if he, if he's if he's part of the plans, and then shouldn't he have at least been getting, you know, a little bit of minutes throughout that December stretch? Or, uh, you know, I just thought it was kind of a, a, a bizarre when I saw him starting the other night, I was like, where did this come from? I did a double take. I thought it was a graphics mistake at first. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that's been the most puzzling one for me. I mean, a lot of them I, I can understand. I mean, Devin Hall, you know, for, for all of his bright spots, somebody pointed out on Twitter uh, this past game that he seems to have one boneheaded play a game. And I and I think that that boneheaded play um, is really costing him minutes. And, uh, you know, when when you're coming off the bench, Tony just wants you, you know, to, to really play within yourself. And, and he's he's got... There, there's something about him where I think he can be a big time player. He seems to like the moment. Uh, I, I think he can, you know, really develop into a clutch guy. But, uh, you know, sometimes he, he just, you know, he, he has that bad turnover. It takes just the really ill advised shot. And, you know, look, Malcolm's going to get away with, you know, taking a, uh, you know, 19 and a half footer with 25 seconds on the clock. But uh, Devin isn't. Yeah. I mean, Devin, look, he shines sometimes and, and then he, he shows his growing pains. Uh, he's just always been a guy that I felt like, uh, with more opportunity is going to just feel more comfortable and, and continue to grow as a player like anybody else would. I, I just think that he brings a lot to the table and, you know, I think he'll be, he's setting himself up to have a good solid, you know, last couple years of his career. Uh, and you're right. Uh, he does kind of flash both good and bad pretty much every night out. Uh, you know, Jack Salt, obviously is is a better defender than Toby. He moves better than Toby as a five. Um is not nearly the offensive player, but uh is working harder on the re- on rebounds and maybe working harder on screens too offensively. Um I guess I, I to put a bow on that, if if I'm Tony, I'm finding a way to get him some minutes in every game. It doesn't have to be a lot, uh, but he's you know his Red shirt's burned. He's, you know, this is a year that he's going to have to get some experience if he's going to be a contributor next year, which we need him to be. So I don't understand why you start him for three or four games, bench him for five games, and then start him again. Um, you know, maybe just a little bit more consistent play, just cycling Jack in and out. I think is good for the team, and I think it's good for for Jack uh, going forward. Yeah, he just he needs that seasoning. Like if we really plan to throw him out there at the beginning of games, like he's not even really comfortable catching the ball full time out of our offense. Like sitting him for five games in a row, that's not gonna help. I think with a lot of these guys, it's like what I said even about London last season. I'm just I'm waiting for his for a lot of these the sophomore class in particular, I'm waiting for their impact on the, the box scores to actually match what we know they can do in game. And for London, it took until this year when he actually started becoming a little more assertive in every every direction he decided to take on the court and has become a double-figure scorer, three or four assists, hitting 56% of his threes. Like, he's taken that next step. And I'm waiting, like, these kids just need to make quicker, quicker decisions about what they're going to do. And then I feel like that comes, I mean, just with getting more comfortable out on the court and hopefully it'll come sooner than later this season, because I feel like we need a couple of them to, if they're all going to be played about an equal amount of time, we need to maybe a few of them to make a case for more time for themselves. Yeah. Well, let's, let's run, let's run down everybody real quick and, and not spend a ton of time, but just kind of hit um, uh, a quick blurb on, on, on where these guys are. And let's start with London who, um, you know, Malcolm Brogdon aside, I, I think has actually been the most valuable player on this team this year. Uh, Phony, tell me a little bit about London this season. Has he surpassed your expectations? Uh, oh, def- you know? definitely. I mean, you know, I really, 
you know, as much as I liked him in, in his previous years, I mean, to, to me, he, he was the pass first point guard, uh, defensively. I don't think he's changed too much. He's not the, the best defender out there, but, but no, he's, I think he's improved think tremendously. He's well, he, well, I, I think, I mean, still you, you watch these fast guys and Angel Rodriguez last night, you know, was, I think another one, um, you know, he, he can, he can struggle at times, but yeah, you got to give him credit. He he's improved with that, but the, the biggest area of improvement, of course, has been offensively, and that's where he's really excelled when he's off the ball because that those, those rhythm shots, I mean, um, he's been our most consistent player. I mean, I love Malcolm, but offensively, London has been the guy that you can count on. So, um, I mean, my respect for London has uh, definitely grown this year. Charlie? Oh, completely agree, but I was... I feel like I feel like he's improved perhaps the most as a defensive player just in his knowledge of where to be on the perimeter and I mean his foot speed I don't know if that's ever going to be at a level where he compete with compete with an Angel Rodriguez I don't I mean that's he's limited in that regard that's going to be what it is but he's he's gotten to be I feel like he's become a lot better at moving his feet and staying in front of people and on offense I'm just glad to see him just taking that shot like a lot of the time last year, he was a guy that people were, as Tony used to say about John Tell, people were satelliting off of him, and it was just clogging our offense up a little bit more. I'm glad to see that he's got no hesitation at all about pulling the trigger this year, and I feel like the percentages reflect a guy who's more confident shooting the ball. Uh, absolutely, and I, I, agree, I agree with you completely uh, about his, his defense. I, th- I think that's been the biggest improvement. Um, I think he's doing a tremendous job staying in, in front of guys overall. Uh, you know, some of these speedier guys are, are going to ha- be able to get by him, but he moves his feet laterally better. I think his athleticism, I think the time he's put in the gym is starting to show, and he'll never be a, an A-plus athlete. But I tell you what, he's he's gone from a C to a B-plus athlete. Um, the hair uh, helps contest shots. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I think that, you look, London Perantis has been hitting big shots uh, since the day he showed up on campus, and I don't care when he averaged 2.3 points a game as a freshman or whatever it was, the shots that he did hit were usually big shots. And every time th- this team has needed a big shot late, I mean, we could without London Prontas hitting some really clutch shots late in games, this record could be more like you know 12, 11, and five or something. I mean, th- th- there's uh, he has just continually made really big plays at really big times and he he's really endearing himself to me is and and has a chance to go down as one of my favorite players here um yeah i mean i i couldn't have imagined myself saying this last year but right now if if we need a buzzer beater um i want the ball in london's hands i mean absolutely <laughs> you know like and and he i mean there'd be games last year he didn't even take a shot but now i mean i you know i love malcolm but uh i you know he's he's the one i trust right now I mean, and he's, he hasn't he hasn't given up on what we loved about him the first two years. He's still he's recorded an assist in every game. His turnover rate is as low or lower than it was in his first two years. He's still looking to create. He's just added that dual threat that I think makes defenses have to respect him a lot more, and he's all the more dangerous for it. Yep, uh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Let's talk about Let's talk Malcolm about a little bit. Uh, Charlie, I'm going to let you start on Malcolm. Um, assess his play for me this year. It's really, I mean, for one, first, let me just start. Congrats to Malcolm. He was named, he's on the Wooden Award watch list. That's obviously an honor for a guy like him. Um, and now I'm going to, like, I'm a little disappointed in a guy who's on the Wooden watch list. And I feel like it's 
it just comes from having such high expectations. Like Malcolm is a guy that kind of, we all have sitting on this pedestal as he's kind of our Mr. Fundamental. He's Virginia basketball under Tony Bennett's Tim Duncan, like the guy you kind of expect to do everything the way James Naismith drew it up and shot selection has really kind of been a nagging issue for him. And I feel like part of it maybe comes from when our offense breaks down and he has like, the world has appointed him our go-to guy and best player. He takes it upon himself to do something about it. I'm just not always sure he's doing the right thing and that taking 15 to 20 foot jumpers off the dribble, fading away, fading sideways. Like those take, those take a little bit out of me every time. And he's been as good as ever on defense. He's been like, he's led us in assists a few times overall. He's had a good year and really we're picking hairs like we're nitpicking when we're talking about Malcolm here, but I really wish he would stop taking fadeaway jumpers off the dribble. That's like, <laughs> and yeah, I know yeah. we've talked, we've talked about this offline some, but it, it kind of drives me nuts. Phony. Oh man. If, if, if I had Malcolm in homeroom, I would pass him a note that said, stop taking jumpers off the dribble. It, it's not his shot. And I don't know, maybe he's heard people saying it's not his shot. And now he feels like he wants to prove that it's not a shot because the last few games, it seems like he's doing it more. Statistically, it's probably not actually true. But as, as good as he is, I mean, he's he's probably 10% on those shots. And I mean, uh-huh. his shooting percentage would be so much better if he just stopped taking those. Uh, it, it kills me. And especially because often they, they're early in the shot clock. You know, I, I never begrudge what kind of shot a guy takes, you know, if there's less than five on the clock because you're not going to find a better sh- shot. But you know, one of the things Tony really pushes is you pass up good shots for great shots. And I've yet to see Malcolm's one of Malcolm's shots off the dribble be a great shot, um, you know, under the circumstances. It, it's um, and, and so so that said, because of the expectations we set for him, he, he's the most frustrating player on the team for me because I, you know, I expect him to, to be Superman, to be out there just flying around in his cape and, and doing amazing things. But when he makes those things that just seem like bad decisions, it, it seems uh, so unexpected because because it's Malcolm. He, he's got the high basketball IQ, and and you you just want to ask him why. So, um, you know, the last ten minutes of last night, I mean, where you know he played brilliantly, right? I mean, he, he you know he had that. I think he was on Sports Center twice, once for the dunk, and then once for the uh, the assist on that dunk. And I mean, he was playing really well on both ends of the court, but. Man, that first half of the game, you know, every time he gets the ball, you're just clenching your teeth because you're not sure, you know, what what he was going to do. So, hopefully, you know, we we've got more tools on on the team than than he's uh, had in past years, and you know, I want to make sure he recognizes that, and and you know, doesn't feel like he needs to to shoulder the full load and and take some of those shots that he he could otherwise get somebody else a better opportunity. You know that concern I've noticed a little bit with that, and if you don't mind me just interjecting this in here, like sure. seeing Malcolm take these early in the shot clock, these long jumpers, when you see your leader and best player doing it, it like in the back of these other guys' minds, it, it becomes contagious a little bit. Like I've seen Darius take a couple out of character shots in recent games that are maybe a couple steps inside the arc. Like I know Mariel is always a little bit tempted to take a jumper. Like I just, I feel like part of Malcolm's job is to be setting an example for the rest of these guys. 
Yeah, and he's, and, he's and, not and necessarily always doing that. And while you would hope they know that the same rules don't apply to everybody, players don't always know that. Yeah, and this is where I want to make a disclaimer to make sure that everyone listening at home understands that uh, this we you know as a trio we have a tremendous amount of respect for for Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, I think we all agree he's one of the best players in the country. We are beyond lucky to have uh a young man of that um just uh strength and unbelievable basketball iq uh to be here on this team that being said i agree totally with both of you guys uh and i you know i do hold him to a higher standard he's a player of the year candidate for for very justifiable reasons but i i do have issues with some of his shot selection I don't understand how you watch tape of games over and over again and you see repetitively what you are struggling mightily at, yet you still continue to take those shots. Um, and, and maybe you're right, Phony. That's, that's something that's crossed my mind is that maybe he, he's very frustrated by the fact that he, he hits those shots in practice and he knows he can hit them and it's just not translating to games. So he, he's trying to continue to hit them. But I'm telling you, I, with, with the way that Malcolm Brogdon shoots the basketball, with that kind of odd trajectory, odd form, when you rush a dribble jump shot, it's going to come off flatter than it usually does. And if there's a guy that's defending you and you're, and you're not coming in rhythm and you're literally just going to pull up off the dribble, you're going to rush that shot a little bit, whether you try to or not. If you've played pickup basketball before at any level, you can probably understand what I'm saying. And that shot is going to come out a little flatter than, than typical. And when your shot is already flat, it is a recipe for disaster. Yet he continues to keep taking the shots. And I agree with Phony that I don't, I don't care what he does late in the shot clock. That one that he threw up last night that went over the backboard or whatever, like whatever. I, it, I'm sure he could have come up with something better. But when you're trying to make something happen, you know, whatever. But when you take those shots earlier in the clock, he, he's said it in press conferences a couple times where he feels that he's doing the team a disservice if he's not aggressive because he's the, he's one of the better scorers um, on the team. And the bottom line is I, I want to tell Malcolm that this is a really good offensive team all the way pretty much 1 through 11, that you don't have to take it upon yourself, that if you work hard and run your sets – somebody's going to get a good look, especially if you get the ball inside at some point and, and you work from inside out and guys like um, Gil and Toby get touches inside. So he does frustrate me this season. Uh, he frustrates me because I, I, I hold him to a higher standard. Um, and I would really like to see him kind of clean that up, um, you know, as the season progresses here. And, and, and I, I'm confident you know, he can, and, and hopefully, um, you know, hopefully he, he wins all the accolades that uh, he deserves. Is there anybody else y'all wanted to touch on tonight? I know we're running a little late. Yeah, I mean, let's, uh, can we talk about um, Mario for a minute? Because he, he's really been an enigma, and I, I'd like to hear what you guys um, think. He was, uh, he, he didn't, a lot of us, a lot of folks expected him to be a starter 
the season. He wasn't. He he was one of the first off the bench though, and he, and he started off playing pretty well. Then he uh, apparently injured his hand, had it taped up. Uh, really wasn't shooting much then, and the shots that he did take weren't good. Um, so whether the hand was affecting it or in his mind the hand was affecting it, either way, his offense disappeared, and and now he just. Uh, he doesn't seem to be entirely present uh, sometimes, and 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 I'm wondering if if this is just lingering uh, from the injury, trying to get his groove back, or if there might be something else going on. I don't know. What do you think, Charlie? Well, the injury went. I mean, it was more than just his hand. He also like he was concussed and received a cut that needed stitches. Apparently, one of the student managers got him pretty good in practice in December, and that led to him like taking a pretty drastic cut in time. I was. I mean, Marielle was one of the breakouts. I mean, right behind London, one of the breakouts we saw in Charleston. Like, he was playing big minutes. He was being aggressive going to the rim. He was nailing threes. I thought we had found our starting lineup for the rest of the season. And I think a lot of it is probably trying to recover from an injury to his shooting hand and maybe getting, like, I don't know how long or how much the concussion affected him. And then just trying to reclaim his spot in this fight for minutes that he's having with Darius and Devin. And I mean, I guess even Evan now, like, I feel like maybe he's a guy who needs a consistent role and consistent minutes to get going. And he's just, he's not getting those now. And he's, as a result, he's always kind of looking over his shoulder and maybe being a little sloppy with things when he's in there. Yeah, you know, Shayok, guys, is, I think he's just having one of those roller coaster years that, you know, he's going to have to have a nice, solid stretch of games to kind of snap out of. It's, it's all the things you just discussed. It's the, uh, the injury, which clearly affected his play, then battling for minutes and kind of getting really spotty minutes when he came back and trying to get a, back into a rhythm. Um, you know, I don't think it's anything more than that. And I just hope that he sticks it out, stays the course, doesn't get, frustrated um and really tries to just kind of fight his way through it because I, I don't think it's anything permanent or um you know anything that he can't work through uh but until until he gets back up to speed you know it's unfortunately this isn't uh you don't always get the opportunity to, to do that on the floor um he's gonna have to wait his turn until he can prove that he's ready I have really high hopes for him bouncing back from this too because I think if he gets back into feeling confident and feeling energetic out on the court. I feel like he's shown before that he can guard some of the same guys Malcolm does in a similar fashion to Malcolm, both with his like his ability to move his feet and his arms. And I feel like he might be one of the better, definitely one of the better spot-up shooters on the team, maybe even after London. And, I mean, he showed it in Charleston. And he showed it in other games. He has the ability to put the ball on the court and create things. I feel like he's... He's kind of just untapped potential waiting to get comfortable again right now. And I, I hope he finds it before we get to the second half of the ACC schedule. Yeah, we really need to figure out how to use him. Yeah, I mean, and I'm just looking at that with like Duke, North Carolina, and Louisville twice and another trip to Miami in the, in the last nine. I really hope we figure a lot of these issues, who's playing when, how to make up for not having an Aquila Darion. I hope we figure all of this out sometime in the next four games before that sec before that back nine rolls around. All right. I've, I've got a question for you guys, and, and this isn't so much individual player, but we, we talked about all the different lineups that we've seen this year, both starting lineups and then just uh, 
uh, different groups that we've run in game. From everything that you guys have seen so far against run of the mill ACC opponent, give me who your starting five would be. You start, Mike. Oh man, if I if let's see if it's let's say Florida State, uh, which is our next game, right? Sure. All right, give me Perantis, Brogdon, Thompson, Gill, Toby, and uh, you know, I'm 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 putting Toby in there because uh, Florida State has more of a traditional size. Uh, Hamilton collects seven footers. Yeah, and um, you know, I, Thompson is kind of falling out of favor a little bit, but. I was really, really impressed with him through uh, that whole dynamic that he brings to the open floor. I, I think is a is a huge advantage for when he's out there. The problem is we just we, we haven't been able to get out and run at all. You know, since he's kind of since we've struggled a little bit defensively, um, we haven't been able to utilize that. But we were doing it against kind of lesser competition. I saw immediately the impact he has in that regard. And if we, if we can tighten up the screws defensively, get some stops and, and, and do some opt op, uh, opportunistic running with the ball, I think he is, he, he is dynamic um, and really brings an ability to finish and get to the line. Um, and Shayok, I think just needs a little, I would love for it to be Shayok there, but I, I think he needs a little bit more time to kind of get back up to full speed. I, I guess that's the five that I would go with against Florida state. I, I've been, even though I think we, we really struggle defensively with Toby in sometimes, I've been really impressed with his motor and his effort um, in, in the last couple weeks. I think he's running the court harder than I've ever seen him. Uh, he's going after rebounding uh, rebounds harder. He's, he, he's playing a little tougher. Um, if he just was a little faster with his feet, then you know I, I think he'd be playing a lot more. But I think you can start him in games and get him involved early He's always shown that if you try to make him a part of the game plan, he's going to have an impact. And then if the breakdowns start happening defensively, you sit him down. Charlie? Yeah, I buy that. One Before I get on to mine, one, Toby did a great job taking Tanya Jakiri out of his game. Like He was looking for him to box out on each, on each possession when the ball yep. went up. And yep. really, I think, did a great job knowing, knowing that the other team had a senior seven-footer another skilled guy, like knowing his role was to try to take that guy out of the game. And I thought Jakiri could have changed it for Miami. And instead we got Mike Toby making a lot of plays that aren't going to show up in the box score by just putting his ass on somebody's hips. And I mean, good for him. Like those are the kind of things I feel like he doesn't always get credit for. And it's good to see him doing them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but if I had to roll a lineup out against Florida state, I'm obviously sticking with London and Malcolm. I'm also going with Thompson, I'm going with Gill, and I'm starting Isaiah alongside Gill. And the reason for that is, I know, I mean... Zero Yeah, yeah, that happens. <laughs> <laughs> that happens, but I'm getting to... I also, I mean, they run... Leonard Hamilton is not really a, a complicated... Does not run a lot of complicated offense out there. There's There are going to be a lot of ball screens, a lot of just trying to create mismatches and you've got X XRM, you've got Dwayne Bacon, you've got guys that are going to be flying toward the rim out on the perimeter. And I want a guy like Isaiah out there that can switch when need be and can try to move with these guys a little bit better than big Mike is going to. 
Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, I, and also, like, I'm keeping Darius out there instead of instead of Mariel, instead of like I really I really wanted to pull the trigger and say Devin. Like I I wanted to make that. I He's like the one guy on the team that hasn't started this year. I wanted to make that leap so bad, but I feel like London's offense. And I was complaining about this not working early in the season. But they found a way to coexist together. I feel like London is at his best getting those rhythm shots, playing off the ball, looking yes. for his own offense. He's at his best when Darius is out there. And I think we're at our best when London is looking for those shots. So going to, a, I mean, going to Florida State, trying to match up with a team that's, I mean, they're not, they're definitely, even though Ken Palm's been kind of nice to them, they are not the defensive stalwart you expect from a Leonard Hamilton team. But all the same, they're big and they're physical. Looking at a team like that, I want London looking for his offense early. So that's my five. And if it starts and we're not getting any boards, then you can bring Mike Toby right off the bench for Isaiah to counter that. There you go. Tony? All right. So uh, obviously London and, and Malcolm, <laughs> you, you guys would, would remove me from the podcast if I, I picked anyone else. I'm going with Darius, just like you guys for, and, and Charlie, you touched on this. London is a better offensive player when Darius is on the floor. Um, that's where, where London can really shine when he's playing off the ball. And, and uh, you know, he, he can be on, on the, the point guard on defense, but he can be off the ball on offense. I, I love it. That's where he gets his shots. Darius has really struggled the last couple games. Just has kind of looked out of place. But again, it, when when things are clicking, he can be so useful, and he, he's such a dynamic player. And we saw that a little bit, you know, near the end last night. He's the kind of guy that can really just make those game changing plays. So so I, I love having him in there. Gill, of course, and uh, so that brings us to the five spot. And and look, I'm I'm in the tank for Mike Toby. I've been a Mike Toby fan since he got here. We were uh, some of us were talking last night about uh, suddenly how well he was moving his feet, which has always been one of my big knocks against him. And uh, he had one play early last night where he practically hedged his guy to midcourt, recovered to contest a shot, and then got the rebound. If we can get more plays like that out of him, I mean, we're, we're going to be unstoppable. I, I think that there, there's something that, that he can really bring as long as he's, he, he's got his head in the game and, and he, he's got that effort. And, you know, maybe we, we don't want to, you know, overwork him and, and give him too many minutes. I, Isaiah, I love bringing him off the bench. And, and really, you could flip-flop those two guys. I think we both like what they, they can do for, for different reasons. But, you know, I think just having that big seven-footer, especially, you know, if we're going against a team with a big like that, you know, a, a lot of people like to malign um, Mike's defense. But, I mean, he, he really brought it last night. And, uh, you know, when, when he's got his head in the game, um, he, he's one of the, the best centers in the league. Yeah, it's been, it's been uh it's been more than just the last game. He he's showed an, another level of of energy. Um he just he just is not that athlete that um you know other guys that we've put in the five position, you know, uh from a floor coverage standpoint and he'll just never be that. It's one of those things that I think the team is a little worse defensively when he's out there, but I think they're uh, a lot better offensively and better on the boards when he is out there. So it's it's give and take. I haven't looked at the numbers to back this yet, up yet. But I have this hunch from looking at us over these first two and a half months that he's played better at games that Jack Salt has started. Almost like he's looking at Salt out there, like like he looks like he has to go out and prove himself all over again when he sees the other six eleven guy getting the start instead. Well, hey, well, hey there's hey, probably hey, no basis in that. But. I, I, 
that needed a little bit of motivation. So if that's if that's what does it, then by all means. And to take a little break from all this uh, action uh, with the games that we've been covering, I figured it'd be good to get our old buddy Corey Evans uh, back in. He's the best scout, scout out there, guys. If you don't follow him, he's uh, at Corey Evans 10. Is that right, Corey? It's Corey Evans underscore one zero, but close uh, enough. <laughs> there you go. And, and why don't you run down uh, everybody that you serve for us? Yeah, man. I mean, um, you mean in general, all, all the prospects, or, or uh, what, what do you want me to entail? Who you work for? Oh, I apologize. So I do my own. I do my own scouting service with that uh, deals directly with the college coaches, which it's called the Round Ball Rundown Report. But the more media side base is hoopscene.com and we're a we're a, a website based out of land georgia swanee georgia that actually a lot of the, the prospects that you guys see on the college front and a lot of the colleges know about because we have our own seven core facility down in swanee georgia so we have it all we have it all so it's definitely a good follow for you guys at hoopscene.com Sounds great, and yeah, if you, if you don't follow Corey, you got to give him a follow. Uh, he he really he watches the college games. He has a lot of information to give on the college games, but uh, he'll break down any of these kids and, and give you what he uh, likes and doesn't like about all of them. Let's dive right into our kids. Um, uh, earlier this year, and forgive me for not remembering the exact number, but you guys elevated Jay Huff uh, tremendously in your rankings, and and Jay Huff is kind of the guy that that's you know a little bit of the forgotten recruit. Uh, when it comes to this 2016 class for most Virginia fans, but you guys have him up in essentially like elite status. I wanted to kind of touch on why exactly he had that meteoric rise for you and what you guys like so much about Jay Huff and how he's playing this season. Yeah, definitely. He's a, he's a non, so in today's day and age, if you're a so-called go-to priority prospect, you're going to play with a, a shoe company um, team, uh, a shoe sponsor team on the travel circuit, which is Under Armour, Adidas, or Nike. And honestly, you go through all the top 50, top 50 rankings on all the websites, and the only guy that did not play for a shoe sponsored program this past summer in 2016 was, was uh, Lonzo Ball from California. And who will go to UCLA next year? But he primarily played with his high school team. Both of his brothers were also committed to UCLA, so it was kind of a fraternity kind of deal there. But in our top fifty, we have a bit of an outlier with Jay Huff, and, and Jay Huff is number twenty-two in our rankings, and that's for a reason. And, and people might have thought we were just trying to, you know, cause a stir, but we weren't. And we really, really believe in what Jay Huff is and what he's going to become. And honestly, we couldn't think of a better place for Jay Huff to play his college ball than at uh, Virginia and for Tony Bennett. And, And what makes him special is he has elite length and size for his spot. He's a legit six foot 10 and he might be uh, not – you'll never describe him as strong, but you can describe him as physical, which is – usually it's hard to find a, a physical skinny kid. And he's the kind of guy that has gained confidence more and more 
as the past few months have progressed. He's developed a back-to-the-basket skill set. And really, he's probably one of the top five shooters in all of America. And for a guy six foot ten who shoots the ball that well, um, it's hard to kind of uh, deter away from what he can become. Wait a second. I'm going to have you repeat that. Uh, uh, what what shooter in the country? Uh, he's a top five shooter in America. Uh, I'll oh. say it now. He, wow. He's that good of a shooter, at least in 2016, being on the safe side. But he's he's that good, and it's it's not even you know foot on the line. It's 25 feet out, 22, 23, 24 feet out. He's a very very confident young man. He's a guy that knows what he is. And he's also kind of kid that with his dad coaching him, they understand that the expectations on him, um, he, he understands that. He, he accepts who he is. He accepts that where he's going to be isn't where he is now. And that's totally fine with him. And it's through his hard work. It's through his ball skill development. And it's through his talent and maturity that's going to take him to where he's going to be. You know, his father said something uh, right after he committed uh, about his best years were going to be his later years at Virginia, his third and fourth year. And I love that mindset that they're not coming in thinking that, you know, this kid's a one and done. Oh, he's tall. He's a good shooter. He's he's going to the league that he, he's going to develop. He's going to get bigger and stronger and even better than he is now. And uh uh, it, it seems like, from what I've been seeing, because I know he didn't he didn't play on the circuit over the summer, but that uh, I mean, it, it, well, might he be ready for college ball a little bit earlier than we thought? I mean, I think we all had him pegged. Okay, he's going to be a red shirt. We might not see him much his uh, first year actually playing, but I mean, might might we see him sooner than that based on what you're seeing right now? Yeah, you know, um, it, it's funny how it works out sometimes. That's been the agreement in place for him to come in and, and redshirt and uh, backtracking a bit. It's pretty commendable there that a uh, 16, 17, 18 year old kid is willing to accept a redshirt year, even though he could go anywhere else and, and probably help produce. Yep. But I mean, that's, it's, it's pretty special for a kid to accept that him and his father. But the fact, that he is developing like we talked about so rapidly and he shoots the ball so well. I think two things, um, they always correlate level by level by level and that's making shots and that's rebounding the basketball. And he does both things. And, (laughs) and and as you watch Virginia this year, um, and making shots, of course their offense is so good, but you can never have enough shot makers on the floor. Right. Right. that's why a guy like Jay Huff, uh, is he going to redshirt next year? Probably so, but could they use him next year as well for uh, prolonged periods? I think so as well. Corey, do you ask... think? Go ahead. Corey, do you think he has the frame? Like, how much do you, do you think he has the frame to accommodate a lot of extra bulk and muscle? Like, he... or is he a guy that it, getting too big too fast might even hurt a little bit? Do you think? He's... Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, it's you don't want to put too much weight on him, and it's kind of like a guy in the ACC right now, Brandon Ingram. He's the kind of guy that you definitely, he definitely needs some weight. He definitely needs some strength, 
But by putting on too much bulk to a guy like Brandon Ingram, that takes away from his quickness. And as my uh, my comrade at, at Hoopstein talks about uh, Justin Young, the unique skill. What makes Jay Huff so special and so unique is that he is so agile and light on his feet for a, for a 6'10 kid. And if you put too much bulk on him, it kind of it kind of hurts his lateral skills. It hurts his ability to play away from the basket, and you don't want that. I think just putting on enough muscle where he can handle the bumps and bruises of ACC basketball that's enough in itself. That's that's very well said. I, I agree completely, and it's all it all goes down to how you end up using him. Uh, you know, really, and and if we kind of make him a stretch four. That really is is made to be more disruptive and be kind of a ball hedge guy defensively, um, and then offensively spend a little bit more time. You know, I'm sure he's gonna have to go in and rebound and do some things. But if he can be that kind of stretch four that we can't stop for the life of us, then uh, that would be a that would be a heck of an addition. And 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 Corey, one thing I've noticed in watching him is, like like you kind of said, he he is such a skinny, wiry guy, but he gets after it on defense. I think he plays. He defends well. I think he's got good hands. He's, he, you know, he finds a way to get his mitts on balls that you wouldn't even expect him to kind of have access to. And, um, you know, I think, you know, you look at him and you just automatically think soft. And then you watch him play, and he doesn't play soft. No, he's he's the first thing from being soft in my book, and that's what I love about him. The fact that you have a six ten kid who needs, who's probably one seventy five, one eighty soaking wet who plays that tough and, and kind of harping back on not putting on too much weight onto his uh, onto the physique you know watching Virginia basketball this year the one issue that the Cavaliers are having is you know denying uh, dribble penetration and that's because you know guys are getting around the corner and they're not guarding ball screens as well and when you have a guy like Jay Huff who is that light on his feet, who can guard ball screens, who can get back and protect his basket also and rebound the ball, um, that's someone that Tony Bennett desperately needs uh, right around That's range. Akil Mitchell that but, you just described. It, exactly. It, and it's a better shot making Akil Mitchell, which is scary, yeah. right? Yeah, that's right. You're making me look ahead to next year, and I don't like that. Uh, <laughs> I, I made a pledge to myself at the start of this season because we've got such a great class coming in. Like, okay, I'm I'm not going to talk about the upcoming recruits. I'm not going to talk about next year because yep. the this year this is you know the this is what we have. But uh, it's hard not to get excited about that kid. Yeah, it's I can understand that totally because you know as as we the fans the general public it what what, what upsets me is you know you're watching the Alabama championship game and them winning and in on the on the pedestal on on the podium, they're talking about next year already. And, and why? What's the work even for if you can't indulge on, you know, the success of the current? And I think you know where you guys are right now. I understand that. Um, but if I were you guys as well, you have to uh, appreciate what you have. And what you guys have is a team that's still capable of winning the national championship in Houston. Oh, we've got fans that are panicking right now because what are we twelve and three? Like, like we've already lost three games this season, and and you know people are writing articles. What's wrong with Virginia? Um, the the success, it's hard to 
to I think properly deal with it and and so I'm envious of the the UNC and the Duke fans that that are used to that kind of thing and and, and don't necessarily panic but also don't have their expectations set so ridiculously high that that they're crushed when their team has three losses uh and it's January. Yeah, how quick uh, a lot of our fans have have forgotten the non-conference schedule that we went through uh winning at Ohio State, beating West Virginia, beating Villanova, uh you know, beating California, beating a, a, a quirky Oakland team. Um, I mean, I don't think anybody in the country can match the wins that we've had top to bottom. Um, but, you know, fans are going to be fans. But, Corey, um, let me ask you about the other kids real quick. Uh, I know you haven't uh, been out as much to see these guys so far this year. You'll be out on the road relatively soon. But have you heard much about Kyle Guy? Um, and his performance, and can you touch on just maybe uh, real quick on, on what Virginia's getting in Kyle? Yeah, you know, I haven't seen Kyle since October pretty much. I've been following him along quite a bit out there at uh, Indianapolis, and he's averaging over 25 or so a game or per game on the scoreboard. And the unfortunate thing is he doesn't have much help, but that's going to help him, I think, for you yep. guys. It's you know it's it's nice to have a guy that you can lean upon to score the basketball, and I think especially from the lead guard spot. And he, what he is is he's a playmaker. He epitomizes what a playmaker is. He creates for other people. He can score the ball himself from all three levels on the floor. He's athletic. He has some savviness to him and uh, some major major swagger. And uh, you know it. it Watching Virginia, it, it took a while for a guy like London Parentis to kind of finally buy into being a scorer of the basketball. Um, with Kyle, that will be that will no not, problem. Is that that's not an issue for him at all? No. Nope. So, and you know, do I think that he might have a couple uh, rough patches early on? Uh, what freshman outside of the one and done guys don't? Uh, but over the long haul. By the time conference play starts next year, he'll be someone that can lead uh, some, can give you guys about 15 minutes or so a night at either guard spot in the backcourt. You know, what I love about him, and I can't wait. And then Charlie and, and Phony, we've talked some about it offline. Is I think one thing this Virginia team is missing is guys that play with an edge. Tony Bell, I, I know some of it comes down from the coach, and he's always taught these guys to never get too high, never get too low. But me personally, and maybe I'm wrong, okay, so I'm not even claiming to be right about this, but I, to me, especially in big games and big-time moments, you need some guys that play with edge. And I love that Kyle plays with that chip on his shoulder and plays with edge every time out there. That is, that's a, something that I think this Virginia team is missing that I am – really excited to have when I think it's a dynamic that he brings to the court. Yeah, just give me a guy that shows his emotions out there. I mean, yes, God, please. Justin was was normally, I mean, he he was normally just on and and you know had that upbeat, but like John Tell, I loved watching Bob because he, he like you you knew exactly what he was thinking at any given time and I I appreciate that honesty and just how authentic a guy like that is and and so um, you know, having a guy with some swagger coming in, I, I think you need it in some. It's not just, I, I, in my opinion, you need it at at some stretches and some portion of game, especially in big games where guys are out to get you. Sometimes you have to have that dynamic, and I think it's part of the reason we've struggled late in the years. People can shoot me all they want, but I think we, I think we need that. Uh, what about DeAndre Hunter? Um, 
you know, I, I, you probably haven't had a chance to see him yet, but I know you're going to see him relatively soon. Uh, he's been playing really well from the tape I've watched. Yeah, he, he's definitely fully back from that uh, the injury scare he had back last year that kind of hurt his stock early on, and and that's only going to help. He's just the ideal Tony Bennett 3-4 type that can play multiple spots for you. And he's just so polished, really, ball skill-wise, where he can play the three for you in spurts, the four for you in spurts. He can defend the uh, the two through four. Um, great length, great rebounding skills, great playmaking skills as well. Doesn't really have the swagger as much as you're talking about, the edge as much um, that a guy like Kyle Guy and Jay Huff have. Um, but he still brings that hard worker's approach to the floor with a high, high ceiling. Great I'm stuff, Corey. It'd be pretty hard to watch if everybody has that swagger too, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need a modicum of swagger, a eh? Susan. Yeah, uh, just a little, a little piece of it. It's all I'm asking for, fellas. Just a little piece. All right, well, what? Corey, uh, I know you got a lot of uh, tape to dive into. We don't want to keep you, uh, but we really appreciate you coming on and giving us a quick update on those guys. Um, and we look forward to having you on. And, and if if you see Anything that we should know about, man, you know, you got to hit me up and let me know when these guys do anything special. And um, we'd love to keep having you on the program. Definitely. I look forward to that. Okay, buddy. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Thanks, right. Corey. Well, that was Corey Evans. Uh, again, he does a tremendous job. Uh, I love following him. Uh, he'll keep you updated on, on all of the key guys out there, a lot of the ACC guys he follows. And, um, you know, really enjoy having him on the program. Anything else you guys want to touch on tonight? We're uh, running a little late. And, and we, we talked about this a little bit with Corey. There's some panic among the fans. Like, you lose two in a row, and, and you know, the national writers are all, you know, pinning these big missives. What's wrong with Virginia? Did, and the ACC is going to be tough this year, and, and you need to realize that last year, two years ago, starting on December 31st, 2013, I guess, uh, you know, the, those were anomalies. Those were great teams, and I think this team can go just as far, if not farther, postseason. But they, we're going to have losses. You know, that doesn't mean that the team is bad. It was going to be historic last year if Kentucky won it all because teams just don't go undefeated. They just don't beat everyone. Every team is going to drop games. And so th- this is just to the fans that follow me that just go into this panic when uh, when, when we start showing some cracks we're we're going to lose games and 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 that's okay because I trust this coaching staff to use those experiences to make us better. So don't don't give up, don't jump ship if we drop a game that we shouldn't. Um you know, I I think the prize comes down the road and and I think we'll get there. Guys, Charlie. Duke lost uh Duke lost two games in the first couple weeks of January last year, started 2 and 2 in the ACC and uh how did how did their season end up? Yeah, I think they had a good a good finish last year. Yeah, I think I think it worked out okay for them. I think I mean it's just far too early to make any final judgment on this year's team. Let's just let's just enjoy the fact that it's still more prosperous than it's been in years before Tony Bennett arrived and let's just have fun with this team. It's all for a lot of these guys, it's their last go round. Let's just try to enjoy it as much as we can. I, I firmly believe that this team has a tremendous chance to still gel and especially defensively and do extremely special things. I think the next four games are very winnable. They can help us kind of get seasoned and get our shit back together. Excuse the language. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I firmly, you know, I have not lost an ounce of faith in this team. And um, 
you know, with that, guys, I think we should probably tap this off um, for Charlie Sawwasser at University Ball. He's he's the best um, game previews of anybody out there. If you're missing those, you uh, don't know what you're missing. Uh, Phony Bennett, who's obviously a legendary. I don't need to dive too much into that. And <laughs> for myself, um, you know, we appreciate you guys listening and following. Um, and, you know, let's go get the next one. Wahoo wah.